All right, all right, all right. Let's uh, find a seat, get back to one. A few seats have opened uh, after we, uh, our children are in their classes, so let's find a seat. If you didn't have a seat prior uh, to our transition, you, you should be able to find a seat at this time. How's everybody? Good. Good to see everyone. So glad you're here today. We, uh, we have a, it's not a guest really, he's a part of our, our church family. I've known Greg Evans now for about 18 years. Uh, he and I were part of the same church out of Memphis for a few years together, and uh, the Lord really has um, opened up a lot of doors for he and his family. Uh, he leads a ministry called First Love Ministries in South Africa. Pastor Lindsay mentioned earlier uh, what we were able to do at Christmas time. Uh, Greg was with us last May and uh, was able to introduce you to him for the first time to our church. And uh, he's traveling with his oldest today, his eldest, Isaiah, who is seven uh, years old. And uh, he gets to travel all the way around with his dad, so that's pretty cool, I think. But um, Greg's got a, a, a timely message for us uh, in our church, but he's also going to give us some updates, tremendous updates. And this is cool now. This is really cool. The, the part we get to play, and we have been playing uh, over the last year in First Love Ministries in South Africa to the people of South Africa. And uh, he's going to give us an update. All of you should have a card uh, that was at your seat uh, when, you, when you arrived this morning. If you don't have one, then it's, your neighbor stole it from you and are breaking a Ten Commandment law. You're not supposed to steal. Uh, so, uh, you know, tell them, give it up, give it up. But um, anyway, it's got a picture of his family, and it's got uh, some other pictures on the other side that Greg's going to pull out and highlight this morning, and they have some meaning behind it. They're not just still shots that he took off the Internet somewhere. These are live-action shots of some things that his mission is doing. So will you help me welcome a dear brother in Christ, comrade in the Lord, Greg Evans. Good. How is everybody this morning? Good. Who's excited to be in church? Yeah, yeah, it's always good. Sundays is my favorite day. You get to come and worship with your, with your uh, fellow Christians at church. You know, you can always be in the presence of God anywhere you come. But there's something special about coming on a Sunday morning. I just want to thank Pastor Jeremy and Haley for allowing me to come out and give me the opportunity to share with you guys. Um, I, I consider it an honor to be able to be here and to be able to share with you about what we're doing in South Africa and to be able to get into the Word with you. Does everybody have those cards that, that Pastor Jeremy was talking about? I'll go over on the one side. The side that's got more of the white on it with it. It has a picture of my family, which is very white. <laughs> I stick out very well in Africa. Easily identified. Um, I'll just go through the pictures real quick. It's got my beautiful wife. My oldest son, Isaiah, which is here with me, he's seven. I've got a, the second one is Ezra. He just turned six the day before I came here. And then my youngest one is Asa, and he is four. So within three years, we have three kids. And uh, all boys and lots of energy at our house. Uh, we split them up this time. I brought one with me, so my wife didn't have them all with her. But um, I've got an incredible family. God has blessed us mightily. We live in... Um, South Africa on the eastern coast of Africa. All of my sons were born in South Africa. My wife and I have lived there for almost nine years now. I began to go to South Africa in 1999 with my spiritual father. And the first time I went, I fell in love with the place. And God spoke to me and said, that's going to be home. And in 2008, my wife and I uh, moved over. And like I said, all of our boys were born there. We are working with the Zulu tribe in South Africa it's one of the largest tribes uh, in South Africa, incredible people and uh, passionate people. Uh, but a lot of the gospel that has brought into um, their tribe has, has kind of been mixed in with some of their uh, spiritual worship. So many of the Christian churches or what they would consider Christian churches are still involved in witchcraft and, um, and uh, ancestral worship as well. So we're trying to help out with solving that. When I first came to South Africa, my primary goal was planting churches, and we would set up tents, and we would do crusades, and we would take what people got saved and, and start a church out of that, and uh, it was incredible work. I loved what I was doing, but I saw something that was missing. 
although we were making Christians and we were developing people as Christians, they were still living in poverty. They still had a very high HIV rate, and education was terrible in the, in the region. Um, so we began to focus on everything we do has an underlay of a spiritual tone, but we looked at some areas that we saw were key in developing uh, communities. And the first one that we uh, began to work with was education. And I'll give you some background on education. Last year, The Economist magazine did a study on education in countries all around the world. Uh, South Africa is one of the most uh, kind of prosperous. We got the third largest GDP in Africa. You would think our education might be pretty good. Our education ranks number two from the bottom in the world, which is, uh, is surprising in a sense unless you've been there and you begin to see that. We've got some private schools that do very good, but the majority of all your public schools, really no better way to say it except they're failures. And um, I don't believe that is a way that you can develop somebody. If you don't have a good education, you're never going to be able to achieve what you can achieve in life. So we began to help out in the school systems. One of the things we're doing, we've adopted six schools, just over 4,000 children in those schools. As Pastor Jeremy said last year, we did our Christmas parties for those, and you all got involved in that. Thank you all so much for that. Those kids had a great time, and it's probably the only Christmas they knew that year. Uh, but in those schools, we got just over 4,000 kids. We provide a breakfast for those kids every morning for them to come to school. We saw one of the things they had if they come to school, if they're hungry, they're not going to be able to concentrate, they're not going to be able to get involved in the studies. So we thought with a good breakfast in the morning that it will help them. We're doing a porridge, which is a common breakfast for the children there, but the ones we provide have the extra um, vitamins and nutrition, so it gives the children 75% of what they need and vitamins for the day. So we're trying to give them something that's, that's very good for them and not just something that will fill them up. Those, uh, those schools that we're working with, we have begun to see some change in the, the students that are coming for the breakfast. We're seeing the change in their education. We're seeing the change in their paying attention in school. Uh, still a long ways to go, but we feel like we are beginning to make progress. Every Wednesday, we have uh, three teams do two schools each, and they go out and do a uh, Christian um, lesson with those assemblies at those schools every Wednesday. So as I said, everything we do has a uh, Christian influence in it. If I'm going to feed kids, they're going to allow us to come out and share the gospel with the children. So uh, all six schools, uh, we, do, we do that with as well. Uh, the other thing that we are doing when it comes to schools is I'm doing a lot of building. My background is engineering and um, begin to see that there was a need for some structures for uh, children to be able to learn in work a lot with preschools. Last year with um, a project I was working on with Hand of Hope, Joyce Meyer Ministries, uh, was building preschools about four hours away from us. We were taking shipping containers, converting them into schools, and putting them where um, the buildings were not suitable for children to learn in. Last year I built 26 of those. This year we are working closer to my home in an area. We're building these uh, preschools out of bricks. I've got four uh, preschools in process right now. We got the roofs on them, and hopefully, when I get back, um, they will almost be finished. So, uh, one of the things that we do is we do a lot of preschools. Um, all of those preschools are totally funded and uh, paid for. All we're trying to do is get the finishing touches so those kids can actually get into a real building and be able to learn properly. Um, we've got a network of 300 preschools. Um, in the area that I'm working in right now. It's a, it's a pretty large area, probably about an hour and a half inland from me, probably about a 45-minute spread. Um, in those preschools, the other thing I'm doing is I am putting a Christian curriculum in there so the teachers can begin to share that with those kids even at an early age. I've got a partner who has a, um, the curriculum they use is called 17 Stories. It's not available in the U.S. It's only available there, but you can look it up online. And it goes through 17 stories in the Bible, and every one of them point back to Christ. So every time they teach one, it, uh, it, it tells about the gospel. And, and the kids, what I like about it is each one of the kids get a card for each one of the stories. So it's a pretty cool card they take home with them. And we encourage the children then to go home and share the story with their family as well. So we begin to teach them how to be evangelists from a very early age. So the education side, we're trying to push very hard on. I've got one program I'm praying about. Um, trying to get started now. Just got to get the right person who can head it up. Right now, we go up to grade seven. I want to be able to do the high school kids. So I want to start a program that's going to go every other week, once a month, where they can get with those kids, pick out the top ones, the ones we really know that can make a difference in their community, 
help them with their education, help them with their spiritual life, help them get um, all the way through high school, work with them for five years. If they qualify for university, I'm going to work out a way where I can pay for the university. So I, I want to see I want to see children that are making a difference be able to come back into their community because they're going to be the ones who change it. Something I've learned from the very beginning is I cannot take on the problems. I can only help them solve their own problems. So I always want to make sure they, re they realize the responsibility is still in your hands. So, uh, so that is a lot of the education side we're working with. The, the other side that we saw that we've got to have, we're going to see people have a life that, that, is, that is really what the Bible talks about our life should be, a prosperous life, a life of joy, a life that makes a difference. Uh, you've got to have some type of economic development that we can have there. And I've been teaching, I started out with just pastors, and I've been teaching pastors how to start small chicken farms where they can provide for themselves. And uh, we're, we're, do, we're doing that now with, with many of the pastors in the area, and um, they, have their own, they have their own chicken farms. They sell it around the community where they are. Uh, people in, in, in the rural communities like to buy a live chicken, uh, for, for this reason. There's not a lot of electricity there, so they don't have refrigerators. So if you go to the store, you buy a chicken, you bring it home. If you don't cook it right then, it's bad. But if they buy a live chicken, it can run around in the grass for a few days, and then they can just kill it and eat it when they want to. So, uh, so most people want the live chicken. It's a good way to preserve your meat. Um, a, lot of people like to, <laughs> a lot of people like to buy the, uh, the live chickens there. So it's, it's a very good market for those guys. I can double their money. With the business plan I've got set up for them, I can double their money in six weeks' time. And then I try to improve on that. So it takes six weeks to take a chicken from hatching until the time where you can slaughter it and eat it. Uh, but I like to roll through so I can get them. Once they find a market, we can do 100 chickens a week. And uh, it really brings more money into their life than they could ever imagine for what, the, what they are doing. So, uh, so we're, we're doing economic development. I've got some other paths. I think last year when I was here, I shared with you all about a chicken abattoir, a slaughterhouse, a processing plant, and packaging plant that I have access to. I've been trying to get the Department of Agriculture to uh, clean it up and refurbish it a little bit, which is working with a government agency is almost impossible to do. In America, it's almost impossible. In Africa, I don't even want to talk about how impossible. Um, they haven't done anything yet. Um, if they don't, I'm just going to raise the money and do it myself, but I'm trying to give them a little time and trying to get one project off of my... Um, off of my ticket, <laughs> and I'll tell you about that in a minute. So economic development is a big thing that, uh, that I believe changes a community. If there's no jobs, you can't make money. So I'm teaching people how to make jobs, and I'm trying to create those jobs for them. Last year, um, I think I told you we were in the process of purchasing a farm. Uh, we bought a farm, paid in cash, paid in full. We've cleaned it. We've planted macadamia nut trees on it, which is going to bring uh, sustainability to the ministries we're doing. We're going to start uh, earning income off of those once they begin to produce nuts, and uh, then that'll pay for a lot of the uh, projects that we're doing as well. So, uh, so yeah, all of, all of that side is moving in where we were. The next area that has been part that we see that has to be changed, I believe if you're going to see people live a right life, they have to good, have a good education, they have to be able to create funds for themselves without somebody giving it to them, and secondly, they have to have health. If you cannot, if our life expectancy doesn't push past 42 years old, there's no way you can say, hey, we're going to live a good long life. 42 years is just not acceptable, I don't believe, for, for that. And even beyond that, it, it gets worse. Let me tell you, everybody knows the HIV and the AIDS problem we have in southern Africa. My province still has a 33% uh, infection rate. So one out of three is going to be infected with HIV and AIDS. It is a killer. Um, if they can get on the ARVs, um, which is the antiviral uh, uh, medicine that, the, that, they, that they use, they can live a longer life as long as they have good nutrition. The problem we have is in our community, um, we didn't have a clinic. So the people who are depending on the distribution from the government for their medications had to depend on a um, mobile clinic is what they call it. It comes out once a month and distributes. But if you don't make it that day, you don't get your stuff. If it rains that day, nobody comes out, so nobody gets their stuff. So then, then you're on and off. And if you don't take your medication consistently anyways for, for those drugs, it can actually hurt you more than it can help you. So the chief in the community, which I've made great friends with, he and I, I mean, he's been sending me messages since I've been here. We're just, 
we've, we've really become, he's very educated, he was private schooled, very smart man, and a great leader of this community. He came to me last year and told me the need of a clinic in our community. And at the time, my wife and I really weren't focused on the medical side, even though we saw the need. And as we prayed about it, we felt like it was our job to put a clinic in that community. We've been working with the Department of Health, which once again, a government agency, which is fun to work with. And uh, they, they have committed to uh, staff the clinic if we will build it. And um, we have the plans drawn up for the building. I have the pricing for the building. Comes up to just over $200,000. I've raised 81000 The foundation is up. The walls are there. And right now I'm looking to put the rafters on the building. Um, hopefully if we, can get the, if we can get the money coming in, we'll be done with that clinic this year. And those people will actually have true um, health care in their area. Um, we're, we're looking at getting that done. So that, that, is, that is what I am raising money for on this trip, is for the clinic and for the clinic only. Uh, let me give you some more statistics. We, we've got a very high um, HIV rate, as I just said. Heart disease and diabetes are two killers that, that nobody really concentrates on in our area. There needs to be some knowledge about what to eat properly, how to do that. I had a pastor this year who had to have five bypasses on his heart uh, because of mainly what he was eating. And we've, we've got another, another missionary couple that work with us, and they are uh, medical doctors from the United States, and they gave up their practice and went there. And me and him was talking about it because he's a very close friend of both of ours. And, and he told me, he was like, I don't, they never taught us in school as a doctor how to prevent it. They just teach us what to do once you have the condition. And he's been researching a lot, and he found a hospital in the U.S., and I don't even know which one it was, as uh, one of the top ones. He, he's from Detroit area, so maybe it was somewhere around there. But he, he, he found one of the hospitals who had 28 patients that had the heart problems. And either, either the, the, the clog was so close to the heart they had nothing to bypass, or they were so, um, the clogs were so bad, it was so bad along, that they were afraid to do the surgery because they would die during the process. So what he found was he found a diet for our friend to do that um, this hospital had used for these 28 patients. And these 28 patients, tw this is 20 years down the road, all 28 patients are still alive and their condition has kind of reversed, which is where I'm going to with trying to get education into that. So uh, the diet was this. It's, uh, it's, it's a pretty easy diet. I'm, I'm lying. It's uh, no meat. No dairy, no sugar, and only whole grain bread. And, you know, obviously that sounds pretty um, strong. And as we were telling my friends, you know, I could see it in his eyes. And um, so I told him, I said, look, I I'm going to do it to support you. I'm going to eat the same thing. Uh, so this year I've dropped 26 pounds since January. <laughs> but what I'm seeing, though, is if we're able to help other people with understand what we can do to be healthy, we're going to be able to change them. And that's what I want to see in a clinic where we can help out with the diabetes. We can help out with, the, with the, uh, the heart disease and those types of things. Here was the staggering statistic that I read that was when, when we talked about the clinic, yes, we've got to do it. Um, and I, I know in the U.S. we probably don't talk about these very much, but infant mortality rate, that means a child who dies before they get to be five years old. In the U.S., average U.S.-wide, there's some areas probably worse than others. U.S.-wide, four and a half children out of every thousand die before they're five. Small percentage. In South Africa, as a nationwide, 98 kids out of every thousand, almost 10% die before they reach five. In the rural areas like where I am, where there's no health care, those numbers are higher. And I just don't think that's acceptable at all. So in the clinic we're building, there will be a maternity room, there are consultation rooms uh, where they can, they can treat people. We can also teach from that. And I will have a pharmacy so they can dispense the drugs that would be there as well. And um, as I said earlier, everything I do has to have a spiritual component. I'm going to pay a pastor who will be on staff as a chaplain every day that it's open. Because I want somebody who's going to be able to pray for the people and be able to get the right literature into their life so they can transform them. 
So we believe, and I didn't even show you the pictures. So uh, if you look at your little card that I, I forgot to go over, the picture on this side is the foundation of the clinic. That's what it looked like before I left. Uh, if you follow me on Facebook, I posted this morning what it looks like now. The walls are up and everything. If you don't follow me on Facebook, I think Pastor Jeremy does. Go to him, find me, add me, I'll, I'll add you. Uh, the middle picture is our farm. That's all of our macadamia nuts planted um, across. You can't see the whole thing because we're kind of on a, on a hill, a little valley that we, we have there. And then the bottom one is one of our assemblies at the school with the ministry have. The background picture is, uh, is, a, uh, is, is the farms. That's some of the roads that go between our farms that we live on. And uh, I was just running the other day and snapped a shot. It actually turned out pretty cool, so we, we use it in the background. <laughs> but that, that is what we're doing. I just want to encourage you, please continue to pray for us. We're seeing God do some great things, opening up a lot of great doors for us. We're enjoying what we're doing. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're interested in being involved, talk to Pastor Jeremy. Y'all's church has been a great friend and a great help for us. Um, but right now, the, our focus on my fundraising is I'm going to get this clinic built and I'm going to see these kids get to where they ought to be. Good. Let me, let me share with you this morning. I, I had something on my heart that I wanted to share with you. Um, you have any idea what time it is and when I'm supposed to be done? Jeremy said by five. So he said as long as I'm done by five. It, it's <laughs> I think they're saying I'll be here by myself at five. I don't know. <laughs> Good. If you got your Bibles, turn over to Romans 12, 11. Romans 12, 11. And I, I want to I talk to you this morning about passion. What does it mean to have a life that's passionate for God? The Bible says in Romans 12, 11, it says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You know, some of these words we don't use as often as, as, we, as we might have. And, and so I just kind of wrote down some definitions of, of, of what zeal means. Zeal is an eager desire, an enthusiastic diligence, intensity. Fervor, on the other hand, means intense heat to boil or passion. And if we take those words and we apply them back into that verse we just read... We could say it this way. It says, never be lacking in an eager desire and enthusiastic diligence, but keep your spiritual heat. Stay hot. Live a passionate life serving God. You know, I believe all of us should have a passion about who we are, about who God has created us to be. You know, Jesus, when he came to earth, he came and he lived a passionate life. The word we get for passion was actually generated or started or created with what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus came and he died for us, if you've ever been to a play during Easter time, they'll call it your passion play. And, and they call it that because when Jesus came and he gave his life up for us and died for us on the cross to pay the price for all of our sins, they didn't have a word to describe it, so they came up with the word of passion to describe what he did. And, and for us, we should have that same representation in our life because he's come and lived inside of us. It's no longer I but Christ who lives in me. So, so for me to look at and say, I've got to have a passionate life just like Christ did. You know, Jesus, when, when, when you look through the Bible and you look at his life and, and who he was, you see a man who lived with a passion, with, 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 with his emotions and, and, and things that were involved in what he was doing. When Jesus looked out and he, and he saw the field, he said, it's, it, it's white unto harvest. But he said there, there, there were no leaders. And he said he had compassion on them. So Jesus had a compassion for people, but he also had anger. Think about the time when Jesus went in and he cleaned, he cleansed the temple. And he threw people out. He had an anger in him for what he saw in people there. He said he had a joy in his life. He said the Holy Spirit brought a, a joy upon him. It also, also says he had a zeal. You know, when the disciples saw some of the things he did, they remembered that it was written in the Old Testament that the zeal would drive him. You know, when we look at Jesus and we look at who he was, he was full of joy. He was angry. He was, he was always driven by a passion. 
I don't think we could ever look at Jesus and say, oh, he was just apathetic in what he did. No, I believe everything he did was driven by purpose and, and passion for, for the plan that God had for his life. And I believe each one of us should be driven with that same purpose and plan we have. See, somehow in, in, in church, we've decided to clean it all up and make it all look kind of nice and put a suit on it. And we all got to speak in a, in a church-type language. But that's not what Jesus did when he came. He actually came to break that mold and, and to be who he was. The Bible calls him the lion of the tribe of Jew. You know, I, I believe for men, we, we've got to be able to embrace that passion again and, and let Jesus be who he is inside of us that we can be the men that we're supposed to be. We can be the drivers that we're supposed to be. And look, I'm not talking about your personality. I'm not talking about how, how you relate with people. Let me tell you about my personality. My personality is right now, I would love to be sitting in a room somewhere reading by myself. I'm not an extrovert. I'm not somebody who likes to be in front of people. When we get done today, if I didn't have to drive to Nashville to speak tonight, I would probably take a nap because it totally exhausts me. But what I have seen is God has a passion in me to reach other people and to do stuff for him. And if I don't have that same passion come out of me and drive me to achieve his goal, then I become nothing that I'm supposed to be. See, it's not about who your personality is. Sometimes we use that as excuses, and I used it as an excuse for so long. I told God many times, I, I can't do ministry because I, I can't speak in front of people. I remember in school, the, the, they used to think that I was challenged and stuff until they saw my math scores that were very high um, because I would not answer questions. The teacher would ask me something, but I didn't want to talk in front of people, so I like I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> See, we can't allow what our ideas about ourselves are to keep us from being who God called us to be. Look, we, we, we've got to look at what our potential is. See, your potential is nothing until you step out on it. Has anybody ever known people to talk about dreams they have and, 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 and all these great things that, that they, they believe God's called them to? And then 20 years down the road, you talk to them, and they're still talking about the same thing. But they've never stepped into it. See, see with that potential that you have in your life, and all of us have a great potential, and I'm not downgrading anybody's potential, but what I'm telling you is if you don't have a passion to step into that potential, you'll never achieve it. We can allow new experiences to scare us. I think I saw a study the other day that says like, it's like 83% of people don't like new stuff. New ideas scare us, and, and we walk away from stepping into it. But if you have a passion that drives you, you'll step into a new experience and not be afraid of what it holds because the passion is going to be stronger than what that fear is. People have a fear of relationships, maybe because of what might have happened in the past. But a passion that says God says we're supposed to have strong relationships can push us into where we need to be in relationships with other people. Even encountering God. So I want, to touch, I want to touch on four areas the Bible talks about being passionate. I've got about five hours and 15 minutes. And we, <laughs> look, I'll get, us out, I'll get us out in time for lunch. Um, I, I've got to be in Nashville, I think, at 530, so it would give me enough time to drive there. So, Look, the first thing we've got to do is we, we've, got to, we've got to see passionate. The Bible talks about giving passionately. When Jesus came, he gave everything. So number one, we're looking at passionate. We've got to have a give-passionate life that we have to have. And, you know, I, I know a lot of times people have the idea that the church is all about their money, and it's really not true. But if we're going to teach the whole Bible, we've got to talk about giving sometimes. And I've learned in my life that, that I've seen giving as being one of those things that, that kind of broke free other areas. Uh, and I'm not going to talk about this area, but in Matthew, when Jesus was talking about the Sermon on the Mount, he touched on three things. He says, when you pray, when you, and you read down the chapter a little bit, when you fast, and then the last one is when you give. And I believe all three kind of tie together. 
And, and if, if you begin to have all three of those in your life, you begin to see God do great things through your life. This year, like I told you, we committed to build this clinic. This is the largest goal we've had of just over $200,000 to build something with. And I knew there were some great things. So I began to fast this year, and I began to pray this year. But then even though we needed to raise all the money, I began to sow seed into other ministries because I was believing God for something greater, so I knew I better put more seed in the ground so I've got a harvest that will come in to supply what we have. And if we can get a revelation of giving passionately, then we begin to see God do great things into your life. I remember almost 20 years ago, I was doing an outreach um, I wasn't doing an outreach. I was doing a conference that was about outreach at Billy Joe and Sharon's Daugherty's Church. What was the name of that church? Victory out in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we were there at the conference, and this lady walked up to me, and, and she asked me if, if, if she could share something with me. And normally I'm very uh, selective. I don't let a lot of people speak words over me if I don't know who they are. You have no idea what somebody's going to say. But, it, but this one time I was like, you know what, yeah, go ahead. And, 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 and she looked at me and she said, I, I, God was just telling me that he's going to bring millions of dollars into your hands. And, you know, that, that part sounded good. I was like, man, come on. And then, then she said this. She said, but you will never be a millionaire. And God has reminded me through the years that the money's not for me. The money is for me to reach the people he wants to reach. And if we can show ourselves faithful, God will bring the finances through you to someone else. We've got to have that revelation that when I give passionately, I'm giving because it's not mine. It's God's. And I'm achieving his goal. See, we can have a lot of things here on earth, but life is short here on earth. Imagine what we're going to have in heaven. It's going to look so much better than whatever you can build here. You can talk about having a $16 million home, whatever it is. It's going to look like the, 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 the shanties when we get up to heaven. We've got to learn to give to God, bless God. I don't mind, I don't mind what you have, but we've got to give passionately. Give passionately. Second thing we've got to look at, we've got to love passionately. The Bible tells us God is love. And I believe God loved passionately. He gave his only son to come and die for us. when We had no other way out of the, the situation we were in. And, and, and loving passionately, even when they asked Jesus, what is, the, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, but the second is just the same. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus himself was directing us to an area where we needed to love in, in, in a passion that overcomes your circumstances. Do you know a lot of times we get involved in life on earth, all of us, you have hurts that come, you have things that come. I shared a little bit with the men yesterday about some of my testimony, and we begin to put walls up and we keep people out. And as I've been studying, I've been walking through my life, one of the things God has showed me is we can't allow our circumstances to change our theology. See, sometimes we have things in life that happen to us, and then we think, Okay, I'm, going to, I'm just going to cut that part out. You know that part in the Bible that says, just I'm, I'm going to rip that part out, and I'm not going to look at it anymore, but I'll keep the other part. No, I'm, I'm just supposed to love the people who treat me right. But what happens is the Bible says we're supposed to love with a passion that overcomes the problem. So you've been hurt, you've been treated wrong, you've been done wrong. I have too, and I struggle with it. But I can't keep that from me. I can't let that allow me to keep from loving the people around me. Loving God. You know, loving God is where it all starts out with. Because once you have a relationship with God, the love of God then becomes inside of you. And then, and then if you read the verse, it talks about loving other people. And loving other people is important, but I think we've got to work in an area before we get to other people. We've got to learn to love ourselves. See, if you love God, then you can realize God made you who you are, and he made you that person for a purpose. He didn't make a mistake, and we can begin to love the person that God made us. I'm not talking about being pride, a prideful person. I'm not talking about being set on yourself, but I'm talking about realizing who God created you for was a perfect purpose. Then we can begin to take the confidence we have in who we are 
and we can love other people with, with, without loving them, thinking, man, I wish I had their gift. Or I wish I had their talent. Or I wish I was there. Or sometimes we look at people who are less than us and, 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 and think, God, God, I don't really like who I am, but I'm glad I'm not them. And, and we, we can love in that sense. But if we can truly understand who God created each one of us to be, the uniqueness of who we are, then what we can do is we can begin to love people no matter where they are, how much greater they might look than us or how much lower they might look than us. No matter how much we might think, oh, at one point I would have liked to have their gifts, but now I'm satisfied with mine. And I can love them in that way. We've got to begin to bring a love into our life that is passionate. We've got to love life. You need to love every day of what's going on. And if you're not, you need to ask God, God, what is wrong? Is it me? Is it the job? What, what, what is happening that I don't love? Because life is too short for it not to be a joy in our life. We've got to learn to love passionately. The, uh, the third one is we've got to worship passionately. And worship is one of those areas in life that sometimes we tie to a 20-minute on Sunday morning. But, but that's just one expression of what worship is. See, worship should be every day in your life. Worship should be when you're at work and things aren't going good. We don't have to fall on our knees and raise our hands and start singing songs. But, you know, we can still live a life that's passionate toward thanksgiving toward God. We can still be thankful. You know what? This job right now, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why it's acting this way. But I can still be thankful to God that I've got it. And inst instead of getting into an attitude where we begin to complain or we begin to fuss about it, relationships you have, if, if you're married, a husband and wife, we've we, we got to be thankful for those relationships. It's a worship to God. When we're faithful, we're thankful, we're, we're, we're showing God, you know what? I don't know if the, if the marriage is exactly what I dreamed of it being, but God, I'm thankful that I have it and I'm willing to make on my part it can be all you want it to be. With your children, with your families, everything we have, we have to have a worship in who we are. See, worship has, has those, those steps that we have to look like, but it begins by stirring ourselves. If you read through the book of Psalms, David was incredible with how he brought reality into writing. David would have some of the worst days going on. My enemies are encamped around me. They're circled around me. But then he would begin to talk about his problems, but he would follow it up, but you, O oh God. He began to look at the problems, but he didn't stop at the problems. He then began to compare God to his problems. Then he began to thank God, and then he began to worship. And what we do so often is we stop on the first one, and we have a pity party. We don't invite anybody else. It's just us sitting at home crying, thinking about how bad life is. But if we begin to take that situation and we begin to compare how good God is to that situation and how he could change that situation, it says the, the hearts of the kings are, are controlled by his hands. They're just puppets. We can talk about how bad leadership is or whatever it is, but they're just a puppet in the hand of God. What we have to do is we have to realize how great God is and the situation we're in. No matter how bad we might think it is, God can change it in a minute He's worthy, and then we can thank Him for allowing us to be in that situation, and we can bring worship. We've got to turn it around. Satan wants you to be depressed. Satan does not want you to have passion. He wants you to live a life that is less than what God created you for. You have to begin to focus on who God is so you can live the life God has called you to. We've got to have a passion in our life. We've got to have a passion when it, when it, when it comes to, to worship every day. Not just on Sunday mornings, every day. What does your life look like? What are the people you work with? Do they, do they see worship in your life or do they, are you the same as them? We've got to begin to generate that worship in everything you do. The other thing we want to look at is serving passionately. What was the first one I said? Give passionately. Love passionately. Worship passionately. And serve passionately. I was going to go through a scripture about serving, but I want to tell you about a good friend of mine. I was with him last night, and I love this man to death. 
before I moved to South Africa, I was on staff at the Life Church in Memphis. And when I was on staff there at the Life Church in Memphis, uh, my wife and I, I was over the, uh, um, all of the building structures we had, which we had none at the time. I, was, I purchased the first one. I was also uh, over the, uh, uh, the HR side, the staff, and um, what else was over? Missions, outreach, and my wife and I were over the children together. And we were looking at trying to find people to do stuff. And there was a young man that had come to our church. His name was Johnny Hill. And uh, Johnny came in, got a great voice about him, young guy. And I hired Johnny to help me out with the facilities. Anybody know Johnny? I love Johnny. I got to spend some time with him yesterday. And we, we were just sharing some stories. Johnny... On his first, on Monday mornings, Johnny's job was to come to church and to go to the bathrooms and clean the toilets. And Johnny cleaned the toilets good, I'm going to tell you. But what I heard coming out of that bathroom, man, there was worship coming out of those toilets. I'm going to tell you, Johnny can sing like nobody's business. And Johnny would be in there cleaning those bathrooms and he would be singing. Man, I tell you what, your gift will make room for you. But he cleaned those bathrooms strong. He gave it everything he had. He was telling me last night, because some of the stuff, you know, I don't even remember. I'd give him jobs to do. He told me last night that I had him changing the, the light balances. He, he said, I told him, I'm going to show you one time, and then you're doing it from now on. <laughs> and I, I would have him change the light balances. And he told me last night, I didn't even know this till last night. He said, I don't know if you knew or not. He said, but I'm scared of heights. But Johnny would get up there, and he would change those things, and, and he would work it. And then, then we had, if, if, if you go to the Life Church now, the one in the shopping center there, uh, they've expanded it over a little bit. But we had about 16,000 feet that we had, done, we had done nothing with when I was there at the time. But it, had, it used to be part of the Schnooks shopping center which, or grocery store that was there before we took over the building. And, and that back room, it was 16,000 square feet, no lights anywhere, totally dark. Well, it actually had the old lights up there, but there was no power to light the lights. So at the time, we're, you know, every church struggles a little bit. We didn't have any money. And I'm trying to fix the lights in the part that we're looking at. So I told Johnny, I said, go in there and get those lights out that we can see that work, and let's put them into the ones. So Johnny told me this. He, he said, last night, this is from last he said, I was in there doing that. He said, one, I, I'm scared of heights. Two, it's dark. I can't see what's going on in there. And we had a door that led to it. And I, I don't know who came by. He said, there was one time he was up on the ladder, and he was changing the lights. And he said, somebody saw the door open, so they shut the door on him. <laughs> well, now it's totally black in there. He said he was yelling at him, trying to get them to open the door for him. Nobody could hear him. He's stuck in there on a ladder. I didn't go get him because I didn't know about this until today. So <laughs> I'm not sure how Johnny got it. But I look at the heart of that man. And right now, the, um, the East Memphis or Highland Road campus that the Life Church has used to be First Assembly, used to be Crichton College. They bought that now. Johnny is the pastor over that campus. Johnny also oversees all of the young adults at that church. Johnny is one of the main worship leaders at our church. Conferences all over the U.S. are calling Johnny to come lead worship because he's probably one of the best worship leaders in, in the U.S. right now. But it started out from a young man who would clean the toilets. And he gave it everything he had. And I look at him now, and I, I look at where he was. And, you know, he, he, he told me last night, he's like, man, you're part of my story. I was like, bro, you're part of your story. Because I could have done that with anybody else, but if they didn't have the heart that you had, it would have never been anything. And I look at somebody who's far surpassed what I'll ever be. An incredible man who started out cleaning the toilets. If we can learn to serve passionately. Not, 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 look, Pastor Jeremy and Haley, any people to serve passionately here at church, that should just be the starting point. All of us need to have a 
purpose inside of our local body. But even outside. Do you serve the people you work with? Do you serve your job right? I've had people come to me and tell me, you know, I'm praying for a promotion. I need a raise. I need to make some more money. And I ask them, do you get to work on time? Well, you know, sometimes I'm a little bit late. And do you stay? Well, you know, sometimes I got a doctor's appointment. I got to leave early. And I get my friend to sign me out so it doesn't look like I left early. I take a long break. I know I've quit preaching. I've started meddling. But anyways, <laughs> I had a job in Memphis. I, I've got, like I said, I've got an engineering degree. I was working at a company. When I started that company, there were two Christians at that company uh, besides myself. And I always went to work early. I would try to be there 30 minutes early. And I was normally the last person to leave. When I left that company six years later, everyone in that company except one guy was a Christian. I was running the engineering firm because I served the way I believe God had called me to. See, any job we have, any service we have is not unto whoever you're working for. The owner of our company was into an occult. He gave much of his money to that. But I still served him as I was serving God. And I said there was only one person that wasn't a Christian. It was him. Last year he passed away. And he had his cult come in. And they were doing all of the ritual for him to die, whatever it was. I don't know. But he couldn't sleep at night. He said he'd have dreams that his family, who were Christians, were, were across this big gulf. And, and, and he couldn't get to them. And they, they would ignore him. And then he would smell fire and brimstone burning when he sleep. And his, his sister, who was a great friend of mine, who had, we had shared the gospel with him so many times, she said, I want to do it one more time. And he gave his life to Christ. He ran everybody. All of the guys from the cult, he ran them all out. And she said he slept peacefully for the next two weeks before he went home to be with Jesus. If we serve people like Jesus would, we have no idea the impact that it's going to have on people's lives. We have no idea the change that it will have inside of people. You don't have to go to people and preach to them from what the Bible says. Preach to them and how your life is lived. Be what the Bible says we're supposed to be. You don't have to say it with words. There's many people who would come to me and say, you're different. Tell me what you've got, and then I can share with them. But until they see I'm different, why do they want what I have? We have to have a passion about us that draws other people to Jesus. Do you all receive that this morning? Yes. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each person here. God, I just pray this morning. God, I pray this morning that you are stirring up that passion in each one of us, the passion you created us to live with, that passion you created us to be all that we're supposed to be, God. God, I thank you for each one. God, I thank you for the dreams and the purpose, the potential that's in each life. And God, I ask you to continue, continue to stir it in their life. Continue to stir it in, in, in their relationships, in their giving in their worship, in their service to you. I want to take just a moment, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to talk to you about your spiritual life. I want to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus came, he died for us, he gave it all up for us, and he rose again and overcame death, calling the grave, so that we could have a relationship with God again. See, in the state that we originally are in, we're separated from God because of sins came into our life or things that we've done that's bad. But God wants a relationship with you, so he sent Jesus to walk that path so that you could have a new relationship. And it's very easy to have a relationship with God again. The Bible says that first thing we need to do is we need to know that we've made mistakes, that we've messed up, that we have sin in our life. And I, I think all of us, if we're real with ourselves, we can say that we've made a lot of mistakes. 
the next thing we need to do is we, we just got to believe that, that Jesus died to pay the price for our mistakes, all the mistakes you've made in your past, and actually he paid the price for all the mistakes you'll make in your future. And the Bible tells us all we have to do from that is accept it. It's a free gift. So I want to give you an opportunity this morning to accept it and make Jesus Lord of your life. And what I'm going to do in a moment, I don't want to embarrass you. All I'm going to do is I'm going to just have you slip up your hand. Just as you slip up your hand, you're, you're doing two things. One, you're telling me, Greg, pray with me. Two, you're telling God, God, I'm making a commitment to you. So in just a moment, I want to count to three. And when I get to three, if you need to make that decision first time, or maybe you need to renew a relationship with God that you've walked away from. Either way, if you make that decision, I want you to slip up your hand then. You ready? Every head bad, everybody, every eye closed. Nobody looking around. One, two, three. Hands up now. There's hands going up. I see one, two, three, four. Anybody else? Don't miss out on an opportunity to, to renew a relationship with God. Start a relationship with God. We'll give you just a couple more seconds. I don't want to pressure you at all, but if you're here and you need to renew or start a relationship with God. All right, I want all of us to pray this prayer together. If you raised your hands, you say this is a commitment to God. The rest of us, we're going to pray it with you to support you. We're going to pray it with you just, just because we believe and we know the impact it's had in our lives. Come on, let's all say this together. Father God, thank you for Jesus. God, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I believe Jesus paid the price for them. Father, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to turn towards you and make Jesus Lord of my life. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's give those guys a big hand clap. Wow. Told you he had a timely word for our church. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, and, he, and he's pretty efficient, too. It's only 1210. He's got less than five hours remaining. So it's, it's, it's always a good thing when the preacher lets you out early, right? 